0: Church, you can join me in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. That's where we're going to be landing this morning. And uh, it's probably a very familiar passage to most of us in this room. This passage in here, we are introduced to uh, a race. We're introduced to a race here in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. And some of you may have heard just a few short months ago uh, the world record in the men's marathon was broken. Did anybody hear, did anybody hear about this? A young man named uh, Kelvin Kiptum, he's 24 years old, he beat uh, Elliot Kipchoge's men's world record marathon time by 25 seconds. Kelvin Kiptum ran over here just in Chicago a couple months ago. He finished the 26.2 mile distance in two hours and 35 seconds which averages out to a 4 minute and 36 second mile pace. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. 4 minutes and 36 second mile pace. First off, I don't even think I can run that fast. Second off, I can't run that fast for a mile. And third, who can do that for 26 miles? Absolutely incredible. And I I love stuff like this. I love hearing about how far uh, somebody can push themselves. And this was only his third, the third marathon he's ever run. This is only the third, like, timed marathon he's ever run. Bright future ahead for uh, this young man. But I, I love hearing how the human body can be pushed. I love hearing when, when records are broken. People didn't even know that, uh, you know, the four-minute mile could be broken. And here we have guys doing 430s for 26 miles. But how does someone do something like this? Like how is this a possible accomplishment, a possible feat? And I looked up uh, his training regiment, and uh, step one to Kelvin Kiptum's marathon training regiment is get off the couch. <laughs> and uh, step two is the man ran like he just runs, and he runs really, really well. God has blessed him with this ability, and he puts in hundreds of miles a week. But uh, Kelvin was, he was well-trained, he was well-coached, he was well-motivated chasing after this world record, and he executed when it mattered most. And this is how he ran a world record marathon. And this morning, we're going to look at a Uh, A race, a much bigger, a much larger, a much more important race in Hebrews 12 verses 1 and 2. And what we're going to find this morning is that we need to train well, that we need to be well motivated, and that we need to execute when it matters. But what we're going to find most importantly this morning is that all of us are running, whether we realize it or not, and we run for Christ's approval and his joy. We run for Christ's approval and his joy. And all wrapped up in this race that we're going to dive into this morning are uh, big questions that we have all asked or probably will ask at some point in our life. One of these questions is, how do I not get distracted by somebody else's race as I run my own? How do I run my race better and faster and farther for the glory of God? And last question we're going to look at this morning is, what is Christ's attitude toward me as I run this race? How does Christ feel toward me as I'm running this race? Well, let's look here at Hebrews chapter 12, verses one and two. I'm going to read uh, both of these verses for us this morning. It says, "Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, Encouragement and the challenge here in this passage is given really clearly. It says, hey, run the race that is set before us. Let us run the race that is set before us. And I don't know about you, uh, but over the past couple weeks, my diet has uh, been strictly cheese and carbs. And I am not all up to uh, running a race this morning. And worse, the qualifier to running the race here in Hebrews 12 is that we do it with endurance. Right, So it's not even like a 40-yard dash. This is a race that has some distance to it. But the good news is, is that we have some help and we have some encouragement. Uh, the author here in Hebrews, he gives us some tools so that we can run this race well and so that we can run this race with Endurance. But but what are we doing? Like what are we actually running? What is this race that he is talking about? It's not an actual physical road race. We can all say amen to that. But let us run has a couple different meanings here. First, the running a race in scripture is often used to describe an individual life. And so here we're called to to run the race of an individual life. Pastor Steve preached this a couple weeks ago out of Philippians. You know, you've got a set time here on earth and you have things to be doing for the Lord, and so we better get busy doing these things. So run the race of the individual life. But secondly, running a race can be used to speak to a group of people and a goal that they collectively have. So the author here says, Let us run collectively speaking to a group of people the author of hebrews here is 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 out on a group run right out on a group run here it says run the race to a collective goal so the question is how do we all run this race well and where are we going where are we going What race are you called to run? And and the race here is talking specifically about a life of faith. And so what it's asking you to do is it's saying, hey, engage in your faith life well and do it with endurance. Engage in your faith life well and do it with endurance. Let's, Let's think about this individually, and then we'll think about it collectively as well. So what does it mean that I should live out my faith with endurance, and then what does it mean that we collectively should run as well? We, we see that there are kind of like these concentric circles present here in this passage, in the, the let us run, and the largest circle here, the, the broadest category, is every Christian who has ever existed, every Christian who has repented of their sin, confessed Jesus Christ as Lord, and this is, this is timeless, right? It is... Um, Christians past, present, and future. Here, Hebrews 12 is following up on Hebrews 11, which is a very familiar passage called the Hall of Faith, which is talking about all of these these men of faith, women of faith who have gone before, and it is asking you to, to emulate, right? And so we have all of these Christians that have already run a race. And so us, at its kind of broadest category, is every child of God who has come Before you, every child of God who is around you right now, and every child of God who will come. This is the cloud of witnesses that is being talked about here. So, this is the broadest circle. The next circle in is the one maybe spoken about most practically here in Hebrews 12 uh, 1. The author and the reader are being lumped together in this moment, right? This, this was a letter to the original readers. It was being read in a room as it circulated to different churches. And the author was saying, hey, let, let's run. You in this room, let's run together towards a collective goal. Those listening in that room, right, to the, to the right and to the left of them, were called to run together. And then we get to the, the smallest circle here of this group. The smallest circle is the individual. And each Christian is responsible to run a race. Now, I, I never raced in um, group sports, team sports. I never did cross country or, or swim, something like that. I never did one of these individual and team sports growing up. But I think a good example of what this looks like is um, an I Am Swimming Relay. And now I had to ask some of my students what an IM Swimming Relay was for this, so I'm hoping that uh, I get this right. But an IM Relay is where uh, a group of four swimmers, they team up to swim a certain distance, but they all swim a specific individual stroke. And so one of them might swim freestyle, one of them might swim backstroke, breaststroke, and butterfly. And so if we think about our concentric circles like an IM team swimming a relay. We can walk down our centric circles, concentric circles with a swim team, right? We can say, let us swim. Let us swim. So I'm looking over here at the Vegas who swim for Portage. We say, hey, Portage swim team, let us go and swim against Chesterton or somebody, right? We can say, let us go swim against Chesterton. And then you can walk it down further and you can say, hey, let us swim our IM relay, And you go down even further and you can say, I'm going to swim my individual stroke in this I am relay. And in swimming, the interesting thing about a team, kind of individual team sport, is that you can win and lose as a team, but it is all built on the individual's performance, right? How well the individual is swimming their specific race, and the goal of the individual, the only goal of the individual, as I can understand, across the whole season is to swim faster, right? It's just to drop time. I'm trying to swim faster across this season. It's to swim better than they did the day before. And this is what we are called to here in Hebrews 12, to let us run broadly, as a group, and then individually. Let us run our race. And there's a challenge here in this kind of phrase, the race that is set before us. There's a challenge, and then there's a pitfall that we need to avoid. The challenge present here is that each one of us individually has something to do for the kingdom of God. If you are wondering whether or not God has anything for you right here, yes, he does. You have a race to run. There is something that God wants you to do for his kingdom. And then collectively, Bethel HP, we have something to do. We have a collective goal to aim for, for the glory of God. Now the broadest race that maybe each of us are running is the individual, right? If you claim Christ as Lord and Savior, then at the very least, You are called to be faithful to him day in and day out. This is like the the broadest race boundaries that you can run, is is to follow Christ as the individual. But it can get way more specific than that. You know, fathers in the room, all tied into your race, is that you are called to lead your children and your wife well. Employees in the room, tied into your race, is that you are supposed to witness Uh, The person in the work of Jesus Christ in the workplace, that you're supposed to have a good work ethic. Students in the room, all tied into your race is that you are supposed to uh, uh, study for the glory of God in this moment. And so you can realize, as you think about the categories that you fill as an individual, your race can get hyper, super specific, very specific to you. Here's one encouragement for us this morning is that you are responsible for the race that is set before you, not the race that is set before someone else. You are called to run your race, not someone else's. Take it back to our swimming illustration. I'm swimming freestyle in this relay. You're swimming backstroke. I can't swim backstroke in this relay. We'll get disqualified. And if we individually want to run our race well, and one of the worst things that we can do is get caught up in a culture of comparison. And I want to speak here for a moment about cultures of comparison, the dangers of comparison. And I got to connect with a few families in our church over the past couple of weeks to ask them about comparison and how it has played a role in their life. And if I had to maybe give a phrase for a summary of the conversations that I have it would be that comparison touches everything, everywhere, all at once. Comparison is this this broad, ever-reaching thing that we deal with day in and day out, right? From careers to family life to parenting, from sports achievements to uh, vacation plans. Comparison is a trap at every turn. And as I got to talk with one of these family members, um, one person said that she does not remember a time when she wasn't comparing herself to other people. She doesn't remember a time when she wasn't comparing herself to others. Comparison that is driven by envy, that is driven by pride, will only cause us to run our race more slowly, less efficiently, because we are looking at the wrong place. Have you ever seen in track or swim one of these competitors that is, that is running and running and running and they take a moment to turn their head and they look over to the side, or they look over to their other competitors and they maybe lose it right at the last moment. You can imagine somebody running the 400 in, in track. If all they ever did was stare at the person next to them, they would not run very effectively. They would not get very far before they fell. And spiritually, we are called to run our race. And what we're going to see here soon is that our eyes are not fixed on those around us. Our eyes are fixed on the person of Jesus Christ, the founder and the perfecter and sustainer of our faith, of our faith, the one whose opinion truly matters. And so we're called to run. Our race, run your race, not someone else's. And the author of Hebrew tells us how to do this well. We run with endurance, we run well for the glory of Jesus Christ by being well motivated and setting down weights. Let's continue here. Verse 1 goes on and says, Let us run our race. Let us also lay aside every weight And sin, which clings so closely. So how do we run this race better? The first thing that we do, we run well by putting the weight down. By putting the weight down. What does it look like to lay aside weights and to put down sin? I think these are different categories that the author is speaking to. And there are so many things in life which are good but may not be helpful to your faith race, right? What might be a weight or an obstacle for one person isn't for another. And there's a discipline that is encouraged here so that you can run the best race possible for the joy of Jesus Christ. And so questions, right? What is an obstacle in your life to your own spiritual growth? What is hindering you from stepping out in faith? What comfort is clinging and slowing you down? We run well by putting down weights. We also run well by putting sin down. And this is sin broadly that that trips us up in our faith race and The encouragement that we have here in this passage, if you think about the sins that trip you up, if you think about the sins that slow you down in your faith race, the encouragement that we have here in this passage is that sin can be overcome by the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have examples right here, the cloud of witnesses, the the people in the past, the people around us, even our own experiences are proof that sin does not have to have the final say in my life. Jesus does. Jesus does. And yes, sin might cling closely, but the gospel of Jesus Christ gives me freedom from the power of sin in my life right now. And so the encouragement is, be putting sin to death so you can run farther for the person of Jesus Christ. There's a group of people out there that I think explains this uh, really well. And what I've found um, is that when it comes to hobbies... There is always somebody who is willing to spend more money than you, right? There's always somebody that's going to be a little bit better than you at this hobby. Does anybody in here hike? Does anybody in here hike over at the dunes? Nobody hikes? There we go. I know you do, right? Up at the dunes, hiking, fantastic, fantastic hobby, right? We love hiking. We go to the dunes sometimes. We go to Meadowbrook over on 700. I don't know if that counts as hiking in Indiana, but go climb a dune and it's hiking. Hiking is one of those hobbies that you can get better at, right? But as I uh, kind of looked into this specific group of hikers, which we're going to get to in a moment, there gets to a point in a hobby where you are so into it, maybe you've spent so much money at it, that somebody on the outside would look in and say, that's a little weird. It's It's just a little strange, right? And there's one of these groups of people, a subset of hikers, Called ultralight hikers. Has anybody heard of ultralight hiking before? From the outside, what I can see is that the goal of ultralight hiking is to spend a ton of money on gear so that you can drop ounces of weight so that you can hike a little bit further. Uh, and here are some recommendations that I found if you want to get into ultralight hiking. Here's some recommendations that I found. Some of them start off, uh, you know, pretty normal. Instead of a tent, You can just sleep in an enclosed hammock, right? Don't bring the tent, just bring a hammock, zip yourself up. You can lose some weight like that. You need to dehydrate all of your food. Don't carry water in your food, it's a waste of weight. You need to determine exactly the number of calories that you need for the hike you're gonna take. No more and no less. Bring only the clothes you absolutely need. And then my favorite section is the hygiene section. Cut your toothbrush in half. (laughs) Only used two moist hand wipes per day. And my favorite one, only two squares of toilet paper per day. And we look at that from the outside, we think, they need some help. It's a little weird. (laughs) A couple more ounces of toilet paper would do just fine, I think. But the goal here for ultralight hikers is to get rid of all the non-essentials. Get rid of all the non-essentials so you can hike faster and you can hike farther. And this is the encouragement that we have in laying aside weights and casting off sin. Take stock of your life and everything should run through the filter. Is this helping or is it harming my spiritual race. What spiritual toothbrush needs cut in half for you this morning? There should be some aspect to your life where a non-believer would look in and they'd say, that's a little weird. I don't quite get that one. Yet we are hyper-focused on something that they are not. We are hyper-focused on running well for the joy of Jesus Christ. But it's not enough to be physically ready to run a race. You also have to be well-motivated. So let's look to our motivation here in verse 2. We run our race and we run it with endurance. We cast aside weights and we put off sin. Verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. And if we are called to run our race and to run it well, then we have to be well-motivated. And what we find here in verse 2 is that Jesus Christ not only is our motivation, but he ran as our motivation. It is incredible what the right motivation can do for you. You've maybe experienced this with uh, your kids. This is the stage of life that I'm in right now. Everyone is slow as snot until you introduce the right motivation, and then everything picks up, right? And uh, it speaks to your parenting style, whether the motivation was a carrot or a stick here. But the motivation can encourage, it can encourage kids to move faster, and it can encourage them to go farther on the walk down the street, right? And this is what Jesus Christ is for the Christian in our faith race. He is the motivation, and he is the motivator. He isn't a distant coach who has never played the sport before, right? In, in sports, there is something different uh, about a coach who you know can compete. I think about Steve Kerr, the coach of the Golden State Warriors, right? He is able to motivate players like Kevin Durant, who used to play, or Stephen Curry, who plays for him. He can motivate them because Steve Kerr played the game and he played at a high level, right? He had been to the finals. He caught passes from Michael Jordan. The guy knows the game. He can play it, and he can motivate other people. And this is what Jesus Christ is for us in our faith race. He is the best player coach who has ever existed, right? Jesus Christ knows what it's like to run the human experience well and to run the human experience with endurance. And so Jesus Christ ran as our motivation, but he also runs as our example. And this is. For us, the importance of Jesus's humanity. We believe that Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. Why do we hold so closely to Jesus's humanity? Well, one of the reasons is because it's why we say uh, that Jesus is fully God and fully man. We believe that because Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted. We hold to it because Jesus knows what it's like to be tired, to be exhausted. Jesus knows what it's like to suffer relational hurt. Hebrews says that he was tempted in every way, and so this is an encouragement for us. We can know that he understands the human experience and can help us through it. And so in our race, when we don't know what to do or how to proceed, we look to Jesus, who stands at the finish line, who already did it, right? He was the one who sparked faith in our hearts, and he is the one who is coaching us through this race. We see this in Philippians 1, verse 6. It says, I, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. We are confident that the person of Jesus who lit the spark of faith in my heart in the first place is going to help me cast off weights and put sin to death so that I can run my race well. It just takes a focus on the person of Jesus. We look to Jesus, not to others around me. I don't care what other people have to say about the race that I'm running as long as I'm looking to Christ and I'm confident that he approves. And how do I know that Jesus cares about my race? How do I know that Jesus cares about the challenges that I face day in and day out? Because it was a joy for him to run his own race and to start you on your way. Let's look here in verse 2. We look to Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What we find here and how we know that Jesus Christ cares about our race is that Jesus ran with joy. Jesus ran with joy. It says there was a joy set before Christ. What was on the other side of the cross that was a joy for Jesus? There was a race set before Jesus, and it was not enduring the cross that was a joy for him. It was not despising the shame that was the joy. And here in verse 2, it was not even being seated again at the right hand of God that was The joy. So what is it? Let's look elsewhere in Hebrews to find out what was so joyful an end that Jesus endured the cross. Three places here in Hebrews. Hebrews 1 verse 3 says, After making purification for sins, he, Jesus, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Hebrews 1 8. Now the point in what we are saying is this, we have such a high priest one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. Or Hebrews 10, 12. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus sitting down in authority is joined in Hebrews by his priestly work. Jesus makes payment for our sin, And then he sits down. There's a finality to it. There's an authority to it. I think of it like dad getting home from work and like sitting down in his lazy boy, right? The dude is done. The man is done for the day, right? Or I think about this, uh, Bethany and I, uh, at the end of the day, We are getting kids ready for bed, right? You like wrangle them into the bathtub, you force the toddler's mouth open, and you do the toothbrush, and you get the hair all washed, and you get them out, and you put the towel on them, and you dry them off, and you walk them into the bedroom, and you put a diaper on, and you get in bed and clothes, and you lay them down, and you forget the water, so you go get the water, and you bring the water back in, and you read the story, and you sing the song, and you do the Bible verse, and you argue with the toddler, and then you walk out the door, and what do we do? We sit down on the couch, right? We sit down at the end of the day. Now, Bethany and I, we sit down in exhaustion, right? Jesus Christ sits down in authority, in finality, in power at the right hand of the throne of God. His day and his work are done. Jesus, after his birth and his life, and his ministry, and his miracles, and his teaching, and his struggling, and his death, and his burial, resurrection, and his sending of his apostles. After all of this, he sits down in authority and in power. And there was a joy that motivated Jesus through all of these things. And what was the joy that motivated Jesus through all of this? It was his priestly work. It was seeing his people bought Back. It was seeing his people forgiven, cured, healed, offered redemption. This is what Jesus smiled at. Like, this is what allowed Jesus to get through the cross. On the other side of it was his people brought back into relationship with God. This is what allowed Jesus to endure the cross and to despise the shame. Jesus was able to die on that cross because he was motivated by joy. At seeing you forgiven of your sin. Not only did he endure the cross, but it says he despised the shame. What does this mean? Despising shame. At the end of Jesus' life was shame-filled by any, any measure. John Piper says it like this. Shame was stripping away every earthly support that Jesus had. His friends gave way in shaming abandonment. His reputation gave way in shaming mockery. His decency gave way in shaming nakedness. His comfort gave way in shaming torture. His glorious dignity gave way to the utterly undignified, degrading reflexes of grunting and groaning and screeching. Shame was this last weapon of Satan against Jesus. But what did Jesus do to this shame? It says that he despised it. Despising shame is speaking down to it. Jesus spoke down to the shame that Satan was pressing on to him. Despising shame is viewing what is ahead is better than what is around. It is declaring that the shame of this moment has no power and it is not comparable to the joy of what is about to be accomplished. And these last weapons of Satan against Christ shame and death had no power because Jesus was future-focused at the joy that was set before him. And this was the joy that Jesus once and for all won for his people at the cross. And this is the joy that Jesus continually feels for you when you step into forgiveness through repentance and continual confession. This is how Jesus looks at you when you run your race. There is joy on his face as you run and as you step into the forgiveness that he bought on the cross. Praise God for the person of Jesus Christ who did what we could not and praise him for the way he continues to be the motivation for us who are still running because this is the same race that you and I are running here and now. Same race that Jesus ran. Endure your cross. Pick up your cross daily despise sin and shame, cast off the weights. And then at the end, receive glory along with Jesus Christ. We all have a race to run. How do we do this well? The first encouragement that I have for us this morning is to find good pacers. Pacers are people that we run alongside that help us run at speeds comfortable for us. We're all running our individual race, not someone else's. A comparison that is fueled by jealousy and pride and envy will not help us run farther or faster. But as you look around at those who are spiritually running better than you, consider how you might model their race Comparison that is fueled by humility and a desire to run our faith race better can be helpful. So I encourage you to find good pacers. Secondly, lose the weight. Take a moment at the start of this year to consider what excess weight, sin, and obstacles are keeping you from running your race well. What relationships need to grow and which ones need to shrink? What voices need to be heard more and what voices need to be heard Less which spiritual disciplines need to grow and which comforts need to lessen. What fruits of the Spirit need nurtured and which sin needs to die. Lose the weight. Cut the sin. And then lastly, look to Jesus. He is our example and he is our motivation. If he is our example and motivation, then only good can come from an increased relationship with him. How are you heading into this new year, seeing the person, the teaching, the example of Jesus Christ better and better? How are you listening to his voice more clearly? In what ways are you letting him cut things out of your life that don't need to be there? What aspects of your life does Jesus need free rein in to coach? The world is going to tell you to run for yourself. But here at Bethel Church, collectively and individually, we are not distracted by someone else's race. I am focused on Jesus Christ who runs alongside me, motivating me to run my race well. We do not run for the accolades of this world. We do not run for the approval of man. We run for the applause of nail-pierced hands.